0: Welcome to episode 83 of the McCovey Croncast, the longest-running podcast on the McCovey Chronicles podcast channel. It's me, Brian Murphy, managing editor of McCovey Chronicles. The Major League Baseball trade deadline has come and gone. That's what we're talking about today. I'm going to be joined in a little bit uh, by Doug Brizoni, contributor to the site. You know him well. Uh, And he's going to weigh in on all the moves the Giants made. The Giants made five trades yesterday And, oh my goodness, that's uh, that's quite a trade deadline. That'd be one that in any year we'd be extremely excited over. And this year had a tinge of melancholy going into it because we figured they were going to trade away a bunch of faves. And instead, they didn't really do that. They kind of did some interesting... Side moves, uh, nothing direct. The big news that I'm I'm stepping all over with my muttering and mumbling and stumbling is Madison Bumgarner, Will Smith are still on the team, and those were the two the top two trade chips that I've been saying this whole time, and who everyone figured would be the biggest returns, uh, return getters uh, for the Giants. But they also want to try to win. The Giants went 19 and six in July. It is now August first. I'm recording this after they were demolished by the Phillies, so we're already in a situation now where they're in a new month, and maybe now the next two months are going to go as the first two months of the season went, or nothing, and it's just a bad loss, and who knows. But anyway, the Giants had their best July since 1913, and I know based on the analytics, that's about 15% of our audience were still alive, or were alive in 1913, so... Maybe one of you can write in, call in, well, this isn't a call-in show, write in, <laughs> email, and let us know how that was going. I don't know why I extended that joke, literally no one was alive who reads the site, when the Giants won 20 games, or they won 25 games, I think it was, in uh, July of 1913, and they went 19-6 and 6 this past July, and it was their best since July of 2010, which, as we all know, Uh, created a lot of memories, and brought a lot of people to the site. And uh, the site that Grant worked hard to build, and I am now slowly, or maybe quickly, destroying. Anyway, uh, we've been away for a few weeks just for a variety of reasons. Most of those are that the Croncast gets recorded outside the normal uh, workflow, and so I have to sort of make time for it, and I haven't been able to. My apologies there if you were actually waiting to hear Uh, The latest episode, there maybe is a dearth of San Francisco Giants podcasts, and we would certainly fill that niche. We are not doing a great job of that uh, on the McCovey Croncast, but if you listen to the rest of our channel, you should definitely be checking out uh, MCC Happy Hour with Sammy Higgins and Brady Clopford, and every week they've got a great guest. Uh, They were actually off last week because we were going to be off and just figured let's just go a week without the croncast hold everything back but they are back this week so check out that one that already went up on tuesday night and i am going to actually get the latest episode of roger's uh podcast out that one had audio issues i'm sure you are super interested in all this but that one had audio issues and so i'm going to finish it tweak it it's literally going to be roger uh giving uh, a couple of notes here and there and that should go up tomorrow friday So this week you will have three podcasts on the channel coming out. Now, I'm going to get into the meat of this, and let's just get right to it. So here's me and Doug talking about all the trades. Joining us now from the San Francisco Examiner. Oh, wait, not from there, but, you know, contributor to the San Francisco Examiner and to McCovey Chronicles, our own Doug Brisoni. Doug, welcome to the Trade Deadline Croncast.
1: How's it going? Oh, Oh, it's exciting! I uh, I heard rumors that I was going to be heading to Talking Chop, but I guess the deal fell through at the last minute. Um, the, the toaster wasn't working that you were going to trade me for. Was that it? That's right.
0: Uh, we didn't like we didn't like what they were offering, and um, and we appreciated our independent contractor team control over you more yeah. than yeah, for sure. Much more surplus value there. Um, we need those bullpen trust rankings more than ever.
1: Yes. <laughs> That's right. I'm. I don't even know what I'm gonna do when I do the next one on Friday. Uh,
0: so I, I really want to get what your reaction was, as I'm sure you were like I was and just glued right to your phone, uh, looking at everything coming through Twitter today. So what did? What did you? What was your reaction when you saw that the Giants had traded Mark Melanson?
1: I so I was shocked. I actually was not able to look at my phone. I was at work, and we're not allowed to have our phones out, but I kind of had MLB trade rumors and I was like hitting control R every couple minutes while no one was looking. And so for a while, I just saw the first trade. I saw the, um, the Pomerans and Black trade. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty good one. And then like 110 or something, I refresh it. And I see, oh, Melanson was traded. Oh, wow. Like I, that was not even on my radar that someone would take him. Like he's been he's been a good pitcher this year. But I didn't think that he would go to anyone. Like he has the no trade clause, and his his contract was so much so much bigger than his production could even be. Um, so like, well, all right, good way to go Farhan. And then I saw that the Braves took his whole contract, <laughs> and, and I, I was like flabbergasted. I was like, this is the only thing the Braves have ever spent money on. Are are you sure? <laughs> Um, but, no, I mean, I think I, w- what I tweeted when I saw it, you know, an hour later was, love the and trade for the Giants. Who'd they get? Like, <laughs> it, it almost doesn't matter. Um, and, you know, they, they got a couple guys who are kind of interesting. Um, they got Dan Winkler. I almost called him Dan Winker, which is not his name. That's right. um, who had a very good year with the Braves last year um, out of the bullpen. And this year has been terrible,
0: yeah.
1: Which uh, that's too bad, but that you know that that happens, and that's why they were selling low on him. You know, if Dan Winkler had been good, probably the Raves aren't aren't looking for Mark Melanson, right? Uh, um, and then they also got Tristan Beck, who is in high A ball. He's twenty three, and he has had he has good strikeout numbers. He's had fairly poor results. But he's done a good job. But he's done a good job with uh, keeping the ball in the yard, at least. Uh, but you know, he's one of those relief guys in the minors who, or I'm, he's a starter. I'm sorry. Um, you know, he's a lottery ticket in the minors who maybe he, he maybe he has something. And you know, for Mark Melanson, if they're going to take on his entire salary, right. <laughs> what, you, fine. Yeah, you get anything you want. He knows what baseball is. Wow, what a trade. That, I mean, th-
0: there are so many layers to that. It, it was basically like, oh, the Giants, the fact that they were able to get him to waive his no trade and that they were able to get a team to take him even for next year. I assume like, oh, okay, so they're paying down most of that contract even next year. And yeah, they got back a couple lottery tickets. It, it, even if they had gotten back nobody. <laughs> they were just And it was like what happened with Scooter Jeanette, and I'm stepping on that. But, you know, essentially... Uh, yeah, so that I had to fake. Um, I had, I almost wanted to fake falling out of my chair just so I could <laughs> say that I fell out of my chair. But instead, I loudly exclaimed, and all the people around me were like, What's wrong? Because <laughs> <laughs> I really kind of gasped and laughed and, and acted like I was, you know, that, that shock that comes from, from it. But yes, it, it has been a bizarre death already. It was a bizarre deadline because, like you said, the first move of the day was uh, Drew Pomerantz and Ray Black being combined for Mauricio Dubon of the, of the Milwaukee Brewers. And you're a Ray Black expert. You've actually talked to the guy. So was, there, was there any, um, I know you are an emotionless uh, baseball fan, so, but did you have any reaction emotionally to that?
1: Um, I mean, so Ray Black, I've talked to him twice. He's been, he's been great both times. He's really good to talk to. So you're friends. So sense, yeah, you're good friends. Right, we're, yeah. we're besties. You know, I, uh, we, we hit each other up when we're going to Cabo, see what's up. <laughs> um, but no, so, like, I like him. Uh, I think that this is a great trade for the Giants, and I think that it's probably a good trade for Ray Black because he was, he was behind so many guys with the Giants in the bullpen that it's going to be hard for him to get the chance here that he's going to be able to get in Milwaukee. Um, So I'm happy for him. I think it'll go well for him. Um, I, you know, and he has, it's always a struggle for him with the control and with, he misses by a little bit, that ball will go far. Uh, But he, he certainly has a huge fastball. He has a great slider. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do in Milwaukee. And I'm happy for him that I think he's going to get the chance to do something that, uh, he
0: wasn't going to have the chance in San Francisco. And Dubon, uh, essentially, you know, with Keston Hura and, um, oh, I can't remember Shaw's first name now, in in uh, Milwaukee, and Moustakis, like, there really, there wasn't a place for him. And, you know, he's uh, the three main uh, position players who the Giants got today. I'm, I'm jumping ahead here. But, uh, you know, he's 25 just like the other guys. So it, it was, he's not quite in a make-or-break situation, but he was certainly at that peak where the Giants essentially gave up players they could afford to part with and in exchange got players the other teams could afford to part with and who the, the Giants, I think it's fair to say, desperately needed. They desperately needed uh, middle infield help of any kind. And Dubon's projections are sort of like, he can hit, but not for power. Like, he's basically the Stephen Vogt of the middle infield. He can do everything averagely. And, and gosh darn it, that is extremely valuable at this point.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I saw, I think on FanGraphs, they described him as a right handed Joe Panic. Not Joe Panic this year, <laughs> oh, like sure. Joe Panic when, when Joe Panic's good. I'm like, oh yeah, I want one of those. That's good. Let's do that. I would take
0: younger Donovan Solano now. Right, exactly. (laughs) That would be great. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, and and I think for the Brewers, you know, they're adding, you know, Drew Pomerantz is not Josh Hader, but they have another left-handed guy who can pitch multiple innings and throw really hard. And Ray Black could essentially supplement Jeremy Jeffress. I mean, they've had a lot of weird injuries in their bullpen, so it's kind of a weird move that also kind of helps the other team a, a lot more. Although Melanson... I would say probably helps the Braves more than the... Yeah, for sure helps the Braves more than what the Giants are getting back, which are two lottery tickets and salary relief. Anyway, and uh, I really... I want to get to Sam Dyson, but let's just slip this in here right now. You know, the Giants... The, there was a big prospect-for-prospect prospect move made earlier in the day... Between the Diamondbacks, and now I can't remember who the other team is, so now this is kind of pointless. But <laughs> they're The Marlins. The Marlins, the Marlins. Yeah. right? Yeah, so they made like a pros- and like a high-end prospect for prospect swap, essentially. The Giants and the Rays did not do high-end prospect swaps, but the Giants did grab um, Joe McCarthy. It came across when I saw it as Joe McCarthy, and then subsequently all the reports were Joseph McCarthy, and no one said it with irony. So... <laughs>
1: Uh, do we do we have another Andy Suarez situation on our hands? Because I can only handle so many of those. But the Andrew Suarez, Andy Suarez is is
0: one thing. It's like Joseph McCarthy is an established <laughs> historical figure. Go with Joe McCarthy. Go with Joey McCarthy. You sat, like <laughs> I'm I'm thinking about Joey more than the McCarthy. Then, uh, but he's essentially um, he's another 25 year old and the Giants. Uh, actually gave up sort of a lottery ticket. on Like, this is an interesting one because the Giants, the Rays essentially got someone off of their 40-man roster for, you know, whatever um, Byzantine Rays reason that they need to do things. Uh, but McCarthy was on their 40-man roster. Now he goes to the Giants' 40-man roster. They have a spot. And McCarthy is essentially not a power hitter. He kind of is okay at defense. He's uh, kind of okay as well. And they give up a left-handed pitcher, Jacob Lopez, who's down in Salem-Kaiser this year. Um, and Kaiser, basically, uh, not really a high-strikeout guy, but a low ERA guy. Like, he's he pitches in the zone, essentially, is what it looks like. Um, and I'm very interested to know what the Doug readout on that is about what the Giants might be doing there and adding a 25-year-old Joe Panic outfielder. <laughs>
1: um, I mean, it seems like... Farhan the thing that Farhan does when he sees when he sees guys who are available who might be good, he just grabs them. Like it's not about whether they have a fit. It's not about whether they can do they have like some future role in mind. He's like, Well that guy might be good. And that's that's probably it. Like so Jacob Lopez, from what I saw, he's had good results in Salem Kaiser, but he's not very projectionable. Projectable. Projectable is a word. Uh, He's not very projectable in terms (laughs) of Uh, major league like possibilities like he's throwing 87 to 90 with weird mechanics and so the Giants are probably like yeah well instead of that guy we'll take the dude who the Rays are getting rid of because they're the Rays and they don't actually want to have any baseball players on their roster Um, well you know in three years from now we're all gonna be looking at the Rays like oh don't have baseball players that's how you win (laughs) duh it's it's the um,
0: controllable years uh, record.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Rays and Blue Jays, are they're going at it over who has more controllable years right yeah. now. It's going to be a, a tough fight in uh, 2073.
0: <laughs> it's eventually going to be a barn burner. So.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, the Giants saw someone who could be interesting and they took a shot at him. And it's really not that different from um, from Joey Rickard, who they picked up off waivers from the Orioles who's been doing really well for, for Sacramento. Uh, they're just like, you know, he's he's a low power, kind of high average guy with some with some secondary skills. Um, you know, he gets on base. We like, the, we like his approach. We like his defense. And we're going to give him a shot. And I think that's really all of it. Uh, it's kind of interesting that the Giants have like a million outfielders now on their 40-man roster who aren't in the majors. Right. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with all of them. But... Uh, but I think for now they're just amassing guys who m- might be something because, hey, why not?
0: Exactly. Uh, and that brings us to the final trade of the day. Well, actually, not not the final trade. I'm skipping over Scooter Gannett, Jeanette because I feel like that's pretty well established. It's, the Giants are kind of doing a lottery pick, and, they, and they're getting him for basically for nothing. They're just having to pay his salary for the rest of the year. And the potential is, is that he hits – 15 home runs down the stretch, potentially, which won't happen. But, you know, he, he is a second baseman with some pop. Uh, and that's... Yeah, I mean, what they're hoping last
1: about. year, he was, he was great last year. He was great. He was, like, a legitimately great player. He was an he's all-star. The last two years, he's been great, yeah. So, you know, maybe, maybe he turned into Dan Ugla. Maybe he didn't. And the Giants are like, well, maybe he didn't. Right. And that's, that's what they traded for. They traded for the maybe he didn't.
0: And we'll we'll know Joe Panic's fate uh, very soon, but he... Jeanette's supposed to join the team on Friday, and they'll have to make a decision or tomorrow because this is going up on Thursday. Anyway, but I wanted to get to the last trade, which really was sort of the biggest... I think it was the biggest trade, if only because it was the most, on paper, what you would expect move. Like, if this had been the first move of the day, the the runway suddenly... Your expectations would have been like, oh my gosh, if they got this for... Sam Dyson was traded to the Twins for three... Of the Twins prospects, uh, the difference between this trade and the other prospects the Giants acquired is sort of none of these players were, were ranked, or <laughs> uh, ranked very highly, I should say. The two pitchers they got were at the very back of their top 30, the 28th and 29th. But the position player they got, and this is where my clunky transition is going off of what you were saying about McCarthy, Jalen Davis is another outfielder, uh, another outfielder another 25 year old outfielder at the beginning of the year it was 28 year old outfilters who were out of options or or you know were out of were being pushed off 40 man rosters and here's Jalen Davis who's a right field he's listed as a right fielder on on minorleaguebaseball.com he has 25 home runs in about 100 games in the in both AA and AAA this year and he he has like a 2 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio which is right in that Range that foreign's looking at. I look at him and I go. Tyler Austin, but not like not like July in June Tyler Austin, but like when they got Tyler Austin or what Tyler Austin's ceiling was supposed to be. Uh, and there are also the two pitchers, uh, Kaiwei Tang and uh, Prelander Baroa. I love both those names and I feel really bad for butchering them. Um, but basically. You know, you see Dyson being traded for three. What it was is 340 future value tagged guys. So basically Sam Dyson for three potential projected to be potential Major League Baseball players. That is like out of all the bullpen arms that we expected. You know, we expected Smith to go. We expected maybe Watson to go. Dyson going gets basically the return that you would have expected a month and a half ago. And did it surprise you in any way? Did it excite you in any way or did you just go cool? They got stuff for Sam Dyson.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean Sam Dyson was like was the one who I think was most likely to be moved. He was he's basically the reliever version of Marcus Stroman because he has uh, he has enough team control left that he's very valuable, but not so much team control they're not going to trade him. Like, you know, Tony Watson has a half year of team control left. Reyes Maranta has four years left. And so both of those are like, well, you know, there's good reasons to not trade them, right? Like Watson, you're not going to get that much. Reyes, you might get more by keeping two years, seeing what happens. Sam Dyson, his value is never going to be higher than it is right now. Um, and, you know, he's, he's had a good track record. I, he was probably the most likely one to be traded. Um, now the Giants are semi-contending. The Giants are in this thing. <laughs> there may or may not be magic inside. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was not surprising he was traded. I do like the return. Um, I think it was, a, it was a good return. I think, uh, they, you know, they got a couple, Barroa and Tang are both very young. is 19, Tang is 20. Uh, and they have, they're intriguing, um, saying they're, you know, sure, they're 40 future value guys is what you can expect. Like you know if one of these three guys in this trade ends up being a major leaker then that's a huge win for the giants yeah pretty much yep and uh and so you know those both those pitchers are interesting hopefully the giants can develop them you know the giants have a reputation of de- developing pitchers even though they haven't really done that good of a job of it since Radisson bumgarner um you know sorry sorry sean anderson uh <laughs> But, uh, but you know, they can, they can get those guys going. And then Jalen Davis has power. And, you know, you want, you want power. The, the only way the Giants are going to get power is by trading for it. Because no, no power hitter is ever going to sign as a free agent. Nope. I think we've all <laughs> established that. Yes. So, so if, if they can develop their own, then that's the only way to get in the lineup. Um, and, you know, Jalen Davis, he swings and misses a lot. He is not a sure thing at all but he has had a great year he's hitting uh right now he has a a 173 wrc plus in uh, in triple a which uh, i think is sustainable i think that's great <laughs> well with the new um, balls. <laughs> and you know he's some of the secondary skills are not where you want him to be but his is his, his strike percentage isn't that high uh and there's he's having a good year and giant's I've traded a, a bunch of the other guys. I traded for are are good players who are having bad years. McCarthy is has a good track record. It's having bad years. Uh, uh, what's his name? The good guy from the Brewers. Dubone Dubone. Dubone, Dubon, <laughs> Dubon, uh he, You know he has a strong track record, but he's having a little bit of a down year. Um, though some of that's just because he's not taking advantage of AAA. He's not taking advantage of the PCL as much as other players are. Like it's not a bad year on the paper. It's just. Though PCL is such a hitter's paradise that um it looks less good than it than a lot of other guys. Um but Davis is the opposite of that. Davis is has a, a good track record, but he's having a great year with the bat. Um and that's that's pretty exciting to see. And the Giants are kind of saying, Hey, maybe maybe that's real. Maybe that's something that we'll we'll see in San Francisco, we'll see that power. And I think that'd be pretty exciting.
0: All right. I have two more questions. The last one or this one is what was your favorite thing about today's trade, trade deadline? Either that the Giants did or someone else did.
1: Uh I I do love the Astros getting cranky. I think that's incredible. Um, that you know I, it doesn't make them more than more likely than not to win the World Series, but I think it makes them more likely than any other team to win the World Series. Um and so I think uh, I, I appreciate that. And I really like it from a baseball perspective. Plus having, Grank, having Verlander, Cole, and Granky, Having Verlander and Cole, like, baseball it up with each other. And then Granky like, sit in the corner sulking me like, what's wrong with you, you weirdos?" <laughs> I, I also love that. <laughs>
0: Granky just recording everyone's group dynamics.
1: Um, so, <laughs> so, so I happened to be in San Francisco for a Giant Steinbacks game the day that they announced the all-star rosters and Zach Greinke made the all-star team. And so uh, I didn't know at the time what the press, what his press conference was, because he did have one before the game. But, uh, but like, I remember seeing one of the beat writers, maybe Chris Haft, because he's not the regular Giants guy, someone who came back from the press conference and was like, God, it was such cranky. And then I looked it up later and they asked him four questions and he gave him one sentence to answer. They're like, were you surprised to make the all-star t- team? Not really. How <laughs> excited are you? It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just absolutely no time for any of that, and I love it.
0: Uh, and then my last question: I'll let you go. Is this the greatest trade deadline by the Giants in the last decade?
1: Uh, no. Okay. They got. I mean i sorry, they, they got Scooter and <laughs> Pence in 2012. Well, we're yeah. talking about outcome there,
0: sure. But in terms of what they did, see, I guess it, without parameters, it's good. It's a knee-jerk reaction. It's good to know.
1: Uh, I mean, also... I mean, data points. Also, I would say, just from the perspective of what was going on at the time, Pence was a much more exciting player, and the, that 2012 team was a much more exciting team than um, than basically any other one. Like, this team is fun right now, like, do we think that they have a that good of a shot at the playoffs? Probably not. Twenty twelve team was a really good team, and they made it better. Like we were all dreaming on that uh, that dream outfield they had for one day with both Melky Cabrera <laughs> <laughs> and Hunter Pence before Melky got suspended. One day, we well, had it for one. They it was a good day. They won like seven yeah. two. We were like
0: we're we're doing this. Sub question then: Is this the first time that you think the Giants have? Won the trade deadline. Um, because that's a completely different thing. It's you know whatever you get or whatever. Um, but they certainly made a lot of moves, and they also they they were the only team really to do the sell and buy, and the sells didn't kill them, and the buys, the sells set them up for later.
1: I don't know if it's the only time they won the trade deadline. Again, 2012 was a really good trade deadline and they got essentially what they needed in 2014. As much as that team was still in the middle of a tailspin, um, they needed Jake Peavy and they got him. Uh, But this was as good of a trade deadline as I think it could have been. Like I can't imagine them doing any better than they did Um, without like setting themselves up to fail this year so they could succeed uh, in the future. Like I think they did uh, a they did a really
0: good job. All right. Read Doug Brisoni at the Examiner uh, every so often on the Chronicles every so often. He's a man of mystery, and he's a great writer. Thanks for joining us, Doug. Uh, right, thanks, Brian. We'll catch up with you later. Bye. Yep. Bye. Okay, now I want to read the letter that Farn Zaiti sent out yesterday. And I want to do it because I feel like it's important, maybe, uh, for the future of the Giants, if, if not the full five years of Saidi's contract, and at least the next couple, and, and what I felt when I read it um, as well. And I want to also mention it, it's really funny because in an interview a couple of days ago, he was talking about how fans on the streets we're saying to him like we'd rather trade you than you trade Bumgarner. So, he was very aware of the sentiment brewing that he that there was going to be heavy scrutiny on him at this deadline. And I think that there is certainly a large contingent of fans at least online who wanted the Giants to destroy everything. If it meant burning down Oracle Park, moving the team, whatever. Like there are just people who are I'm not sure what what I'm not sure what the fan angle is, but it's it almost borders on nihilism. Like every year, the Giants should get rid of every player, and it should just be new play. It's kind of like an A's fan thing. Like it's just a numbness to names and individuals. It's just you know every player is really just a discrete number generating event, and that's all I care about. <laughs> and maybe that's like a way of guarding against emotions of caring about outcomes or anything like that. And maybe I'm getting far too off the course here, but I feel like uh, Zyde had a, na- a needle to thread. There's too many paying customers who actually care about name brands or recognizable names and recognizable faces. On top of that, the Giants, some of those recognizable names cannot be moved. Nobody wants Buster Posey. It's sad to say Buster Posey's best days are well behind him, and whatever the future is, it's going to be, at best, league average. And so no one wants to pay $22 million a year for a league average catcher who's probably more likely to be hurt and grounded to double plays, even though he hit a home run the other night. But, you know, Buster Posey's greatest value is to the Giants as the name brand Buster Posey. Kid's people want to pay to see Buster Posey if they live in the Bay Area. Same thing with Brandon Crawford, the home homegrown hero. There are better shortstops on probably all he's probably the worst shortstop in baseball at this point, or very close to it. Uh he can't hit. He's you know he's older. Like there's he has the most value to the Giants. So they're not moving him. And the idea that the Giants would just like cut him cut them or move them for peanuts for nothing is absurd and 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 for people who the people who might trumpet those types of moves they kind of in my experience the interactions seem to be like they feel like they're very intelligent and very well informed it seems like if you're wanting the Giants to just dump Buster Posey or dump Brandon Crawford, that it's that thinking is missing a key component in the thought process of why would the Giants do that. And if it's just to make the team better, is Steven vote that much of an upgrade over Buster Posey? and would the backup catcher who now would be, va- you know would be a Garcia, is vote and Garcia better than Posey and vote? I don't think so. you know, And then you get rid of Crawford. Who's your shortstop? Donovan, Solano, Abiato, Avellino. Are those two better than Crawford and uh, Solano? Are you making that big of an upgrade? And are you losing more in terms of the fan experience and engagement um, than you're gaining in simply dumping one of the worst shortstops in baseball? Then you get to Bumgarner. Then you get to Will Smith. Yes, Madison Bumgarner and Will Smith, Smith more than Bumgarner, have trade value, have quite, you would think have a lot of trade value, but the way that the market works, they don't have as much as you might think. Reputationally, uh, in Baumgartner's case, statistically in Smith's case, they should have brought back a nice return. Better than what the Giants got for Sam Dyson, uh, but maybe not remarkably better. Instead, who knows what the Giants are being offered for them? I'm going to post an article or open it up tomorrow. I really am interested in knowing what people think the Giants should have done, like what deals they would have made. There, are, you know, because there are people who thought, oh, you've got two valuable, movable pieces, because that's the difference between Bumgarner and Smith and Posey and Crawford and Belt. Let's say, you know, because Belt is a is a soft hitting first baseman who's injured and has a lot of money left on his deal. Same deal. Teams aren't necessarily going to want to add him and the Giants moving him they actually do lose one of their few batters with plate control and and is pretty solid defensively at first base the Giants would be losing more than they'd be gaining and simply getting rid of Brandon Belt for nothing and teams wouldn't be giving up much or gaining much by having him not the case with Bumgarner and Smith but That level of utility about, you know, for Bumgarner, he's way more valuable to the Giants. Yes, from a marketing standpoint, from a fan engagement standpoint, but also just from the team cohesion and engagement. You know, if you're going to give away your best players every year, it's going to be disheartening. Are the Giants, if the Giants had decided we're going to give away Bumgarner, I'm very interested. People just think that the Giants should have given up Bumgarner for nothing is just because it's the thing to do, you have to move him because he's on an expiring, his contracts up after this year. Same with Will Smith. So I'm very interested to know what people think the returns, what they would have settled for, because that's really what we're talking about here. And the Giants might have moved either of them, but we have no idea what the offers were. So no one asked my opinion. I'm glad that they kept both those guys if they didn't feel like a move was been, if, if they didn't feel like a return was going to be worth it. And I feel like As many people who are happy about what the Giants have been doing otherwise, or what Farn ID and the new front office have been doing otherwise, maybe, in this case, they also made the right call in not moving either of those guys. All right, enough of that rambling ahead of time. That all leads into, though, this letter that Farn wrote last night for the fans, I want to thank you for welcoming me to San Francisco and for your support as we've navigated through the first half of the season. Now that we're past the trade deadline, I wanted to take a moment to provide you with an update on our baseball strategy and to give you a little more insight on some of today's decisions. As I mentioned when I joined the Giants back in November, our goal is to play meaningful baseball as deep into the season as possible by continuously making moves to strengthen our roster on a daily basis. I recognize that the pace of roster moves is probably more than you have been accustomed to, but I firmly believe the changes we have made give us the best possible chance to win each day and position us well for the future. As you well know, over the past couple of months, the team has gotten back on track, and we find ourselves right in the middle of a tight postseason race. And given the talent on this team, I like our chances down the stretch. Going into the trade deadline, our goal was to strengthen the team for this season and reload for the future. While it's always difficult to part with talented pitchers like Mark Melanson, Sam Dyson, Drew Pomerantz, and Ray Black, we are fortunate enough to have the organizational depth to fulfill those roles. All four of these players have made significant contributions to the Giants, and I want to thank them for helping us get to where we are to date. We are extremely excited about the newest additions to the organization, some who have the potential to make an immediate impact. All-star Scooter Jeanette has the potential to bring infield depth and power to our lineup. In Mauricio Dubon, we have acquired a highly touted versatile prospect who plays multiple positions and can help solidify our infield in the near future. Additionally, we have been able to acquire some talented young arms, uh, Prelander Baroa, Kaiwei Tang, and Tristan Beck, to add to our pitching depth at all levels. Jalen Davis and Joseph McCarthy bring outfield versatility, power, and athleticism, and both have the potential to contribute in the immediate future. As you can see, it's been a whirlwind of activity, a whirlwind of activity, and the moves we made, and in some cases didn't make, position us well now and beyond. I hope you are as excited as I am to see how these next several weeks unfold. I look forward to seeing you at the ballpark in the coming days and weeks. Sincerely, Farin So I want to talk about that because I could never imagine Brian Sabian or Bobby Evans writing something like that. And I think the biggest difference between those two and the new front office, in particular Farin is that Zaidi is an extrovert. I really... All the evidence suggests that Brian Sabian and Bobby Bobby Evans were introverted, which means they're shy. And I would say that Sabian's gruffness and Evans' very particular speaking style, he was very exacting when he would speak, uh, were all born of sort of introverted personality traits which doesn't mean that their actions were introverted or that they were conservative or anything like that. It's just, generally speaking, an extrovert and an introvert have different ways of, of communicating and handling things. And I would say far taking it upon himself, you know, being the president of baseball operations obviously also carries some extra weight to it than the vice president or the GM, which is what Sabian and, and Evans had. So I would say that far anxiety is, is more or less stepping up and filling a void you might have seen larry bear write this kind of letter a year ago or two years ago or this year if things had gone differently for him uh i would say that you know zaidi is essentially making a purely baseball statement the giants didn't do anything drastic that would tick people off and in those situations traditionally in baseball we've seen teams write or make issue in a statement in response to something that upset people. Here, the Giants didn't trade Madison Bumgarner. Now, society trying to write a letter to cover himself or to try to make people feel better about what happened. He made some moves and he said, Here, here's where we're at. It was a great uh, kind of midseason, or uh, it's not midseason, but you know, it was a post deadline letter. I think it, it really stands out. You know, he. It's not total transparency, but it's a level of transparency that confirms what we all suspected. He's not dodging anything. And I really like the part where he talked about, I know it's a pace of transition uh, or turnover that you're not used to, Uh, you know, that's, you know, just taking the fan base into account. We're old and slow in our analytics familiarity and nimbleness. It's not collectively there yet. So the, you know the churn is real and and I think acknowledging that uh, was was really great. and it's just a uh, uh, it has not been yet been a year We're three months shy of a year into his tenure here. and I you know, I would say that he's made all the right moves. Uh, you know the ones that didn't work out, if you want to bring up Connor Joe, and Michael Reed, you know, I'm talking about the intention of the moves, what the you know the giants he didn't start and in his first month, blow it all up and make these drastic changes just for the sake of purging the roster. They made a couple of ads. Pomerance is the main one, you know, most of, but most like he's been willing. The other move was if it didn't work, moving on, giving guys extra chances. I think keeping Mac Williams, like being mindful of the old regime and the old, entrenched things and giving them an opportunity and then using his stature as the new guy to say okay that was Mac Williamson's last chance this this might be Austin Slater's last chance this might be Joe Panik's last chance like that is a great that's a better situation to be in you expect you know people do have to at some point perform or they have to move on and that's not to say that the Giants were against that or didn't do that but I think his presence makes it a lot easier to turn over a lot of this. Like a lot of what we saw this year was him turning over his own stuff. And now, as the season's gone on, he's kind of turned over the other guy's stuff. Uh, again, I just want to circle back to the fact that the Giants traded Mark Melanson and got another team to pay for the entire contract. I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. If you were watching this from afar, if you were a Giants, if Mark Melanson were on. Uh, I don't know, what's it, on the Brewers. And, and uh Zaidi was hired to run the Brewers, and this was his first year. And you, as a distant fan, were like, oh, I like the Brewers. Oh, it's too bad that they have that big Mark Melanson contract that they can't move. It would allow them to do other things. And then in Far first year, he got the Braves to take Mark Melanson's full deal and <laughs> clear that space and open up some flexibility. You would go, holy crap, I wish the Giants had someone like that. Well, guess what? The Giants do have someone like that. It's pretty amazing. And uh, as someone who likes clear communication, it's also great that they have someone who's willing to just, like, talk about it, talk about what he's doing, why they're doing it, and acknowledging what you might be thinking as either something that could be a problem or you have a question about, and being anticipatory in that regard. So part of his background is behavioral economics, and maybe he knows that this is just best practice when you're in a high turnover uh, situation with a familiar brand, with a lot of uh, concerned and interested parties and consumers. This could all be a cynical—that's right—and all could all be a cynical economic uh, mode of operation. But that is the, the cynical way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is the Giants did a lot yesterday, and he just wanted to say, "Hey, I know I did a lot, and here's why, and here's why I think we're going to be great going forward." That's just that's just sound leadership, and uh, great. I'm glad I'm glad it happened. To me, the m- most remarkable quality of Far and has been his consistency. And I'm not just talking about this year. I'm talking about how he's been historically. If you read the Los Angeles Times write-up on him after the uh, the Dodgers hired him, you know, you, you hear the anecdote or you read the anecdote about how the A's came to hire him. And when the Giants hired him, all the coverage that that got and what happened. And what comes across is a kind person who's who likes to have fun and loves to compete. And, you know, after my own heart, uh, he likes to find the joke in the situation, not making light of the situation, but just when he's being asked a question or engaging in conversation to engage with the person through humor in some way uh, in between describing whatever it is he needs to do. If you go back even farther, further, excuse me. Oh, I gotta get my language right. If you go back even further... His, the consistency remains, and a lot of that is just simply he is a devout follower of sabermetric principles. Uh, courtesy of the Sloan Analytics Conference, I'm going to run through a few clips from a conference back in 2013, uh, where Zaidi was on this panel with Foros McCracken, who I believe by that time was already working for the Red Sox, uh, I'm not sure. I think it was that Joe Poznanski is also on this panel. Uh, I'm I can't remember who else is on it. Here's a kind of a quote from Zaidi is actually a quote, not kind of. That really is the f- main thing you need to know about where he's coming from when he looks at the Giants roster and their 200 million dollar payroll and how he approached the Dodgers and their uh, unlimited payroll and how that was all born of his sabermetric principles that he already had in place when he started working with the A's, and the systems they devised while working with the A's. Uh, and it's pretty straightforward.
2: When you're a team that's pretty sabermetrically inclined and analytical in the decisions you make, you know if you follow those decisions, there's really a lower bound. I think to the you know how many wins you know you can build a 75-win team just based on sort of sound analytical principles, and you can do that year in year out, even with a $50 million payroll. Uh, The question is, how do you get beyond that point? Um, And You know, one way is to add at the top of the roster with stars, which for us just isn't an affordable strategy. And the other way is to manage from the bottom and take players that are liabilities, even small liabilities, and say, you know, what does it do to the collective team at the end of 162 games if we can shave some of this? off the bottom in terms of the productivity so you know whether it's a backup catcher or utility infielder or you know the ninth or tenth bullpen arm that you have that'll be up and down all year really optimizing those positions for us became an important part about building a competitive team
0: and this next one I feel like this is also pretty straightforward too that uh, I think it's just something we forget and certainly you know I have to follow the giants and and study them and try to find angles to take in articles or recaps. And, you know, with varying degrees of success, I might actually hit on something or find something unique to say. But it also requires reading a lot of stuff that I'm not writing and trying to figure out how to look at the game differently or to clarify what I'm seeing. And, you know, The Giants, uh, one thing you might have said earlier in the season is that they've simply assembled a bunch of misfit toys, that, you know, they all have their flaws. In the case of Dickerson, it's can he stay healthy and stay on the field? That's kind of its own flaw. Putting Brandon Belt in left field is not great because he's not a natural left fielder. He's much better at first baseman, but in order to move around, they'll do that. Uh, So this is just a clip of Farrin talking about players having, you know, you know, looking for skills and, and putting that above the outcomes. And this is so, you know, taken together with what he just said about, uh, about payroll and what you're looking to do when you're building a roster and how you get to this idea. That's the thing. Uh, the idea that you could with sound sabermetric principles, build a team year in and year out that wins 75 games. How do you go from there? You know, it starts either way, whether you start, just aim for 75 or you want to build off that 75. It starts with finding talent. And so here's sort of that philosophy, uh, even more in a more granular sense.
2: You know, Boris made, made a great point, And this is something that we're trying to emphasize in our front office. And obviously others are doing the same, you know, to really make the analysis more about skills and not outcomes. And, you know, we were talking earlier and I said you know hitting 300 isn't a skill it's an outcome the skill is making consistently solid whatever that players hitting abilities generate that outcome and you know two different players with two
0: different hitting abilities can hit 300 they can hit the same thing right because it's just an outcome what you're looking for is the underlying abilities that affect the numbers that we look at in the box scores
2: every right and what's interesting at a conference like this is you know baseball has such a long history of statistics I think we're very fixated on outcomes maybe more than in other sports and you know when the sort of analytical wave really started taking off in basketball and some other sports i don't think they were tied down to outcomes the way that we tend to be so you know a lot of the basketball systems that are coming online now teams are trying to measure how good players are at the pick and roll how good players are at moving without the ball they're not looking at who scores points who rebounds who passes the ball and you know in baseball we have to start moving away and not forgetting that ultimately getting hits and scoring runs is what matters. But, uh, you know, really measuring, you know, as a front office that's trying to put together the best possible team, um, we want the most skilled players. We don't want the guys that put up the best numbers last year.
0: This last clip will really kind of just drive it home in terms of what he was looking for with uh, Dubon, uh, with Jalen Davis, uh, probably with Joe McCarthy too, in terms of how they're looking at um skills of of younger players of unproven players which it is it's extremely difficult and you'll hear him admit
2: as much the question of how good players are we have a pretty good um handle on uh the question of how good players are be you know can be or might be in the future is something that we're still figuring out and a lot of times we're applying the same analysis you know, to the question of how good is this player to how good a player can be. Um, And there's so many areas where, you know, the knowledge in baseball and frankly in other sports is limited, Uh, you know, some of the other discussions around here have talked about mental aptitude, which is an area that, you know, there, there are certain success-oriented behaviors that I think we feel anecdotally we've seen, but the actual objective studies that show, you know, players with these kinds of traits or with this kind of test, if you score like this, you know, you're more likely. I mean, it's really hard to make it through the minors up to the major leagues. It's a huge grind. Um, you know, I, the longer I've been in this game, the more respect I have for guys that make it all the way up the ladder. I mean, it's an incredibly difficult and arduous journey, and you know, it's not for everybody. Uh, even guys that are incredibly talented. So that's really an area that, uh, you know, we need to do a lot more work on. And, you know, you see, you know, uh, in evaluating prospects, something that's been very common is, you know, the idea of major league equivalents. This guy hit 300 in A ball. That's like hitting 260 in the big leagues. Well, the question isn't, you know, You know what does his minor league line translate to in the big leagues? The question is which guys are going to outperform that number and which guys are going to underperform that number, and that's really the question that's facing us now. And it's a lot more complicated than just a simple, you know, translation.
0: Anyway, I just thought those three clips, that snippet from the conference, was was enlightening because he's the same uh, thinker and as he as he's always been so he didn't come to the Giants with uh, with an agenda he didn't go to the Dodgers with an agenda you know he didn't change who what he thought and his approach to the game based on where he went which is not an accusation you would level at pretty much a lot of people you think are competent at what they do but if anyone had that thought of like oh he's with the Giants now he doesn't know what he's doing he's doing what he has always done and he's looking at the game the way he always has and now now he's on the Giants he's also not uh, making it difficult for you to understand that and I think the letter is a great out it's basically community outreach to let people know like hey I'm not just some guy in an ivory tower making these computer-based decisions Um, I mean he is making computer-based decisions but not solely computer-based decisions. And so I think the welcoming aspect of that letter, the inclusive nature of the statements therein, taken with all of his public comments and all of his public actions, consistency and a modicum of transparency, I think it goes a long way. And it's just very exciting. It's, it's a more exciting time in Giants baseball than you might have imagined six months ago. Okay. For this last segment, I want to go over a couple of things that caught my eye on the trade deadline. Uh, the, the giants kind of got lucky in one way and, and unlucky in another. The first way is the Padres traded away two, two guys. Uh, they traded away Franmil Reyes and Logan Allen. Um, they traded Fran Mil Reyes. This was all to facilitate Trevor Bauer going from Cleveland to Cincinnati and Yasiel Puig uh, going to Cleveland. And so, uh, you know, somehow at the end of the day, the, the Padres lose one of their top power hitters and they lose one of their promising pitching prospects. They do gain Taylor Trammell, whom I love dearly. He's... Uh, At the Futures game, they interviewed him and he's like just full of life and vibrance. And it's like, man, that guy's awesome. I wish he was in my organization. I wish every baseball player was like Taylor Trammell. Uh, And he's but he's still a couple of years away. The Padres basically made a move to that is very close to feeling like a punt to like 2021 or 2022. Logan Allen was not going to pitch them into the postseason. Fran Mill Reyes, though. You know, now his at bats go away and Will Myers gets more playing time is essentially what happens, which okay, great for the Padres. But for the Giants, the lucky part is, is that Reyes was scary. He's a big scary dude in the box. He he famously had that pinch it monster home run off of Reyes Moranta earlier in the season. Logan Allen with the fastball changeup combo was enough of a of a pain in their side. You know, These are two guys that were going to just continue to be problems for the Giants, and now the Padres traded away two guys, and their rosters, they're sort of just going to give more playing time to some of their other guys, but those are two headliners uh, in in... That are gone. So that helps the Giants, I think. I like that. I like that part of the move for for me, uh, watching the Giants play the Padres. Always a frustrating experience, never fun. But now a player I actually thought was both scary and fun, Reyes, is gone. So that's bad. So we're going to see more Will Myers. That's bad. And Logan Allen is gone, which is bad for the Padres, maybe not for the Giants. And who knows what they're going to do with their pitching, what's going to happen for the rest of this year. But they definitely have seemed to have cashed in their chips for this year, and who knows about next year. So one division rival kind of takes a step back for this year and maybe part of next year. Good for the Giants. Bad for the Giants, the Diamondbacks, despite trading Zach Greinke, good for the Giants, uh, they added Mike Leak. They traded for him uh, from the Mariners. I don't know if you saw this, but I wanted to bring that up because Mike Leak was not great when he was with the Giants very briefly in 2015. And I think he's going to be really annoying to face uh, with the Diamondbacks this year and next uh, because he's a ground ball guy, but he's a really good ground, ground ball guy. And now I can just see him getting like 21 or 23 consecutive ground ball outs against the Giants and just frustrating the life out of all of us watching the games so the diamondbacks also kind of cashed in their chips for this year although they gained financial fl- flexibility in trading grinky they made a really nice prospect for prospect swap uh by getting ross cup i think it is uh i can't remember now but we just talked about it with doug and i cannot remember but they traded one of their infield prospects to the marlins for one of their top pitching prospects so you know they took a step back in, in some respects but it's not like they just gave away all their talent. I'm not accusing the Padres of necessarily doing the same thing. Um, but, you know, they're, they gained an annoying situation. So I just want to point that out as a craze to fan. Uh, good that Fran Reyes is out of the division. Bad that Mike Leak is in there now. Because can't you just see it? You know, Brandon Bell gets a lead off walk. Uh, uh, Mike Yastrzemski, pops it up or strikes out, and then Buster Posey grounds into a double play. That's not the 21 ground ball outs I just said, but I can see that happening in every bike leak start Start now, and I, I just don't want that to happen. Uh, and the next, I do want to close on this. So those are the two things, and I'm going to close on this note. Alex Dickerson went on the 10-day IL with uh, with an oblique strain, which was labeled as mild. Oblique strains, I put this on the site, they have an average healing time. It can be as small as 5, 4 to f- 10 days. But on average, uh, a, an oblique strain is somewhere a player is fully healed in, in 27 days. So Dickerson's strain appears to have been caused by the back spasms that have dogged him his whole career. It's just He's a big guy. That's just the thing that's going to happen to him. He's always been injured he gets hurt a lot, that's just been his, his plight as a, as a professional baseball player. And so now he had an injury that led to another injury that's never a good chain of events. So the strain might heal, but the spasms are gonna come back because that's what happens with back spasms, they come back. And so we're going to probably, if the fear I have is Dickerson's going to be incredibly diminished for the rest of the year, or we're just not going to see him very much the rest of the year, which would seem to hurt the Giants. It would potentially coincide with what you might expect as a regression to the mean. Who knows at this point? Whatever, however you want to slice it, if you were always a naysayer and you were just waiting for the regression to the mean to kick in, you get your way. If you're someone who's like, maybe the Giants have found something here, you're going to be disappointed because I really think that this is kind of the death knell for the rest of Dickerson's season, which isn't to say that he won't hit any home runs, but, you know, it's doubtful he's going to have a thousand OPS the rest of the way. It was always doubtful that was the case, but now I don't, I don't have any sense of what that floor is going to be when he falls. Because back injuries are tricky, and now once you start dealing with strains, a reminder, when someone says there's an ankle strain or an oblique strain or something, a strain is a tear. And tears are not great. You don't want your muscles. You don't want parts of your body tearing in any way. Uh, even though it happens. But, you know, it's not great. When you're a professional athlete, not great either. So I'm going to end on that note because that's the plight of the McCovey Croncast, I guess. My thanks to Doug for joining me at the last minute. What a crazy day it was yesterday. And uh, we'll see what happens. We'll be back uh, next week with an all new one, probably later in the week, just to give you time to digest this one. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to listen to our other shows on the channel, MCC Happy Hour with Sammy Higgins and Brady Klopfer. They have a new episode that came out this week. And tomorrow we're going to drop Roger's latest, the third episode of the Prospect Podcast. podcast. Thanks again for listening.